Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. And please also consider making a small donation on my Patreon page so that I can continue to bring you amazing content so that we can all create a better future. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number two of the Song Reflective Podcast. I am Sasha Calavota, your host. And today, I am so pleased to be sitting here with the lovely, the most intelligent, the wise, <laughs> and the hilarious Lucas Simmons, holistic nutritionist extraordinaire. Seriously, if you live in the Calgary area and you're into the health scene, you would have heard of Luca. She teaches classes. She does group sessions. She does private sessions. She does talks at events. She is amazing. She is wise and she lives her talk. And today we're going to be doing a deep dive into the microbiome because today in the world of Rona and our overreacting and our sanitizing and our distancing and our fear and our lack of practical information around building health, there are going to be a lot of far-reaching implications. And one of those big areas that are going to be hit is the microbiome. We are throwing out at least, I would say, the last a large part of the last 10 years of, of research around microbiome and what actually builds real health. We have totally thrown that out the window. We're spraying and sanitizing. We're destroying the microbiome of our homes, of our environments, and of ourselves. And if we don't change course, then we're going to have far-reaching implications around our physical health, our mental health, our immune health. And I don't think we want that. We've launched an all-out war on the microbiome, and we know that war never turns out well. So what do we need to do? So we're here to talk about what we can do. What is the, what is the stance that we need to take on this? We need to, I believe, we need to love and embrace and nurture the microbiome and not kill the microbiome. So anyway, so Luca has a she has a history in radio, history in TV. She's got all sorts of great skills, and now her biggest skill is teaching people how to eat real food. She loves real food. She eats real foods, and she's had a lot of results in her life and changing your own health, right? With Absolutely. with real food and that of your family as well too. And so now she's bringing that gift to everyone. Learn how to eat real food. And we'll get into some things at the end of this about what Luca's doing right now and how you could get into Luca's scene and learn from her as well. So I think that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about. I went completely off track of what I was going to say. Um, but it's better off the cuff. It is. It's off the cuff. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to bring in some mentors that we both learned from. I think there's some people that you listen to that I actually haven't listened to yet. So that's going to be interesting to learn as well too. Cool. And we're going to talk about embracing microbial diversity. As Dr. Zach Bush says, that every time we remove or separate ourselves from nature, we move a little closer to death. And I don't think that's what we want, right? We need to build diversity and build resilience and build a robust, healthy body and mind. So with that, let's get into it. Thank you for joining me, Miss Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's start with 
Okay, I was gonna say start with microbiome, but let's quickly, in a nutshell, your story, where'd you come from, and how has real food, microbiome health, how has all that enhanced your life and changed your life? Do you have 10 hours? <laughs> so for me, uh, I came to this in a super roundabout way that, you know, I grew up in a home where my mom was a homemaker and she made so many foods from scratch. And the thing was in the seventies when you were growing up and I was growing up, it was more expensive to have processed foods than mm, to have real foods. Right. So we had a little farm that was about two hours away where there were four of us, four kids growing up. And then my parents, so a family of six and four big kids who were very healthy as well. And we had very healthy appetites. And so we spent a lot of our summers tending a couple of acres out at our farm. It was just a hobby farm. We didn't even have animals. Um, but I think my dad secretly wanted to be a farmer. And so we had a couple of acres that we had just vegetables. So that's really where it started. Um, my mom and my dad would plant potatoes and they tried cabbages one year, but we got so many cabbage moths. We had carrots, peas, green beans, like all of the traditional sort of root vegetables, put meat on your bones kind of vegetables we had out there. And we had to help take care of it. And we had to shell the peas. And I mean, we had fun playing with the tractor as a six-year-old, we were allowed to drive the tractor out in the back fields because we had about 50 acres. Um, and so that's kind of a little bit of what I had growing up, coupled with a mom who was working out of the home she had a lot of side projects, super smart woman, and really tied into the traditional way of preparing food. So she canned a lot. My grandmother lived next door, so we would often go. She was the one, she was so great. She would take like, she'd be like, ah, well, Grandpapa really likes his raisin pie. Let's make a raisin pie today. So uh, 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 she'd like open her cupboards and she'd just toss things. She wouldn't measure and she just would put things together. And I always thought like, what is this thing with the raisin pie? Like, that's disgusting to me. Who eats raisin <laughs> pie? Because raisins are like what the poor people eat. Why wouldn't you make a cherry pie, a blueberry pie, an apple pie with fresh fruit? Why would you use raisins? And she made this slurry with the raisins. So she put like water and flour and raisins and make a oh, wow. slurry of sorts. And that would make the filling for the pie. And of course, she'd make her own pie and she used lard mm -hmm. because that's what you did. We had a small butcher in uh, northern Ontario where we lived. Um, my grandfather was also a trapper so we had a lot of rabbit oh, that nice. he would bring in um, and but predominantly my mom was driving the food decisions in our home and it was all real food because that's what was affordable. That's what was manageable. That was that's what was doable at the time and we had tons of uh, gardens in our backyard as well that mm -hmm. I was the one in charge of making salads and I didn't have to go out and pick all of the Grand, rap, Grand Rapids lettuce and then bring it in and make a salad. So we were really, I grew up in a home of from scratch. And then when I hit my teens, I was like, no, <laughs> this is not how the uh -oh. cool people eat. I need to go do my own thing. And so my mom, who's so smart, never said anything. She'd go to the grocery store and she'd buy packaged food and she would leave it in the pantry. And I didn't even, you know how, like I love teenagers, but they sometimes miss a piece of the puzzle. Uh, it, developmentally, it's where they're at. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with them. It's exactly how they should be. But as a 16, 17 year old, I would wink, wink, stay up to watch the late news because that was a rule in our house. You could stay up if you were watching the news. Oh, so well, at 11 o'clock, the local news would come on. The national news was on at 10, but the local would go on at 11. So they'd all go up to bed and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to stay up and watch the news. But I would actually stay up and make like a packaged noodle and sauce thing 
furtively at 11 o'clock oh on the God, stove. Really? Because I was like, oh my God, this is so delicious. It tastes so good. This is what everybody else has and I'm not allowed to have this. First of all, memo to little 17-year-old Luca. Your mother was buying those packages, so she knew. And she kept replenishing them, so she knew I was doing this. But I had it, I had this thought that this is how everyone else eats. What am I missing out on? And I think it offered me a chance to try something else and to learn some things that I needed to learn. And I think the idea of packaged foods was just such this shiny, beautiful thing that made it easy, quick, super satisfying because they have that perfect ratio of salt and fat and mouthfeel. So, so seductive, that right? It's so super seductive. seductive. So, like, so, so, crazy. so that your pleasure centers can go, yeah. oh my God, that's so good. I need it every night. And then you have to go buy it again. Oh, great. So the person who comes up with these products yeah. is able to make their livelihood. So I get it, totally get it. Except I started to have some health issues and I had them from fairly early on, uh, from the age of about 10 on. And there was one thing after another. So the age of 12, um, I had um, an eating disorder actually, mm -hmm. struggled with um, an anorexia. Uh, I had asthma show up at the age of 12 as well. And then at 18, I had numb hands. Wow. At the age of 19, I started to have migraines where I would black out and I wouldn't be able to see. Uh, 20, I was diagnosed, 21 maybe, I was diagnosed with PTSD, OCD, wow. bipolar depression. Uh, and a few, there were like six diagnoses in one day. That was really fun. In one day? Yeah. From seeing someone talking to them for 20 minutes. Uh, I was in a crisis wow. mode at the time. And then there were more and more diagnoses that came along. There's H. pylori at one point. There was depression, obviously, that came as part of it. Uh, total low-grade anxiety from the age of 10 on, essentially. Uh, and I felt the world keenly. That's really how I see it is I actually felt the world keenly. And those years were difficult to go through. And But I think they were eventually what gave me the impetus and the idea to look for something different. Mm -hmm. because you'll only take so much for me I could only take so much until I needed to shift something mm -hmm. so the age of 40 um, after you know one thing after another there were fertility issues my period I had to take two days out every month like it just added up but I would go to the doctor and you would get tests and oh no everything looks you're great you're great you're fine, fine right mm -hmm. here take this medication for your mood stuff pat pat on the head is just mood stuff and that it, it really felt like it wasn't the right answer for me. Oh, you're best. Thank goodness for Just tea. Just drinking a little bit of gynostama tea here. I love tea, it's my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. So as these things started to pop up and one thing after another, adding and adding and adding and feeling like it was a snowball getting out of control. About the age of 40, I'd been working in the arts for about 15 years or so. And in the downturn of economy, the arts are the first to go. Yeah. So my work very quickly dried up and I moved to, uh, my daughter was starting to go to school and there was a lunch program. So I got on board to help at the lunch program and I was the assistant to the chef there. And I learned many, many things in the kitchen. But one day we're chopping up 20 pounds of carrots and I'm seeing us go through four liters of canola oil every week. And somewhere Ooh. I'm thinking, a good idea okay i get that it has to be for the price point and for the decisions that the chef at the time had to make and and i a million percent understand that but what does that do and what kind of impact does it have and i started to research the program at the canadian school of natural nutrition and then went to school for a year so i ended my time in the kitchen with all of these big questions on 
what is the food that we eat? What kind of impact does it have? Mm -hmm. And how can we look to food to be our ally? So went to school, this is a long story, went to school, <laughs> graduated, thought I had all the answers. And then, so I graduated in 2014 and we did, we barely touched the microbiome in 2014. Well. I graduated from there in 2000 or 2001. You would not have talked about and the microbiome at all. we wouldn't have talked about it at all. No, it's no, all new. It's, it's all, all that's the thing. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. takes 19 years for the science to catch up to the educational pieces where they disseminate the science that was found. On average, it takes 19 years for discoveries to make their way into the, the medical establishment and the natural health establishment as well. Right. Maybe they're a bit faster. I'd like to think I think are. it's faster I now with the, like people just saying it right now yeah. online, yeah. but to get the into the test, to, to get the, all of that yeah. and to make it more mainstream. Exactly. Yeah. So having graduated from there, then I really did a deep dive into the gut and the microbiome because those pieces I didn't learn. And it was from my own experience of having bone broth. Uh, I tried bone broth because at the time, a few years before I went to school, oh, bone broth fermented foods, they're so great for you. They're so wonderful. Have at her, you're gonna fix everything. This is like the cure all. So I did and I got so sick. I got so sick. I lost a pair of pants. I will save you the story because it's so mortifying, but there is a brand new carpet at a dance studio in town because there I mean, is. that's all we'll say. <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah. paramedic involved. Yeah, he was very cute. And I'm yeah, and you're uh, and I pants and yeah, passing I out. smelled like a toilette. Were, yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> this was from trying to bring in some of those foods that were the fix-all, right? And then I quickly, uh, well, not quickly, but it took me a few years to realize what was at the root of that. It happens to be histamine issues. Histamine issues in my one-on-one -on -one work is actually about 80% of the work that I do with people. Histamine issues can show up when there's a series. It can be uh, uh, different reasons and every person is very unique. So for me, it, ha it happened to be that the histamines that I would eat from foods I couldn't handle and they would flood my system and my body so very lovingly would say, I'm going to protect you against this. Move this out to the street. And so it would. And thank you, body. You're the best. But wait. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you want to buy new pants every week? Maybe not. So I was the person who started to question, wait a second, but the fermented foods in the bone broth, like that's supposed to be the cure-all. Is it? So then it invited me to dig deeper. So all of these one thing after another that has snowballed into how my body was letting me know what was going on. I see it now as these were gifts. When you're in the midst of it, they're not gifts. They make you feel like dirt. They make you feel like you're going wild and wacky and you're not following the rules as set out by someone. You know, of course, I just graduated nutrition school, but I can't do bone broth and fermented foods. Oh, of course I can't. Okay. I'm the person. So I reinstated that story of I'm the person who can't do things according to the way they're supposed to be. Mm. No, because you have a different set of circumstances and you haven't gone deep enough yet is how it turned out for me. It's different for each person. So through there, really understood the role of histamines and how they interact with the body and how the gut is such an integral part when histamines are an issue. And histamines, I'll tell you, show up when there's inflammation that's been going on for too long. Mm -hmm. Chronic inflammation, and that's my bag, is I deal with chronic inflammation. Right. So since uh, I, it was a course that I took, a GAPS <laughs> cooking class that I took in, Cal um, sorry, in Colorado, the lovely Monica Corrado, uh, and she was the one who opened that door of histamines. And since then, that's actually 
what drives everything that I do is all histamines, inflammation, and the complexity and the, the complicatedness of food and how our bodies interact with food is the most fascinating thing to me. The way our bodies speak and let us know what's going on mm -hmm. is a genuine gift. When you're in that moment, it does not feel like a gift. But to take those steps away, to calm everything down, and to look back and go, okay, hang on, what's going on? So I like to think of myself as an interpreter. An interpreter of what kind of signals that your body is sending, how to read the room, <laughs> how your body's letting you know what's going on, and what kind of steps you can put in place. And I always come back to the same thing. It is going to all, the answer to everything is always going to be real food. And that's part of the issue is we moved so far away from the concept of real food. And, you know, graduating from CSNN, I really thought I knew real food and I still had to make more changes after graduating. Like I would buy a jar of sauce, of butter chicken sauce, thinking, oh, this is real food. Off we go to the races. Well, no, there was soybean oil in there, which is not a natural product. It's a fairly recent innovation. It is so full of things that can ramp up inflammation in the body and throw your hormones off balance. Well, that's at the root of being human. And it's at the root of creating all of the ways your body's going to speak loudly to go, no thanks. That's the thing, and it is yeah. a gift. That's what I tell people, it's a gift. Like when you get that acne, when you get that this is information, but we like to let things fester. We can't like or and deny it. We also, I think too that there's something about the way that the world works is that we've created the, we've really capitalized on the concept of war and the language of war. Yes. So when our, we've been told that when our body rebels, it's going to get mad at us. Well, I hate my body because she's having acne right. or she's making no. me poop my pants in public. <laughs> that was my story. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, what have you, these different reasons. Uh, heck no, your body is always on team you. Absolutely. Your body will always choose to live until that very last moment. And she will, she will, she'll move mountains for you and you are a team. So my work is in helping people come together as a team with their body mm. and then look to the food. It's, I mean, my company is called Good Food and You. Yeah. It's so simple because my concept is to bring you and the good food together. Yes, amazing, love it, okay, love that's it. Story. Okay, that's your story. We're done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, thank you for that. And that's, yeah. I love that. I can totally relate to that. And, Except for pooping my pants in public. <laughs> no, I don't recommend it. I'm actually a lucky one. Like everybody has all these awful stories about yeah. why they're they're in where they're at. I just started looking into this in university, mm -hmm. and I just decided to start researching food, and so I didn't have to get really sick to figure it out. But unfortunately, yeah. for a lot of people, we just we do, we need to hit our rock bottom before we you know, start to live Well, and I wonder if this is not actually a manifestation of what's happening in the world, right? There's so many things that are showing up as an urgent, we need to change things. And yes. so for some people, this is what it takes for them to, to put the pieces in place they need for themselves. And the beautiful thing about this, I think, when you start putting those pieces in place for yourself, you're actually on an energetic level doing things for the seven generations before and the seven generations mm -hmm. after. Now, this is, uh, this is not, I didn't come up with this. This is a concept that is part of First Nations culture right. and, and the way of looking at things. So your role in the line of people who came before you and the line of people coming after you 
you have a role to play in being a good ancestor, right? And so putting those pieces in place when you start to hone in on the things that can help your body survive and not only survive, but thrive. Right, yeah. You are now doing it for those in your circles immediately. And in, you know, I have a 15 year old daughter. I think when she sees me talking about real food, I mean, she rolls her eyes still, but it's fine. I love her. And she, but she, she's taken on so many of these messages for herself that then she will carry this on. And so many of the things and messages that I carry are from my mom. My mom looms large in my work mm-hmm. and my place in this world. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother looms even larger in the spirit of food. Right. The, the concept of a raisin pie, if you think of a raisin pie, that's what you eat at the dead of winter when there's no fresh fruit left. Right. They didn't have freezers back then. You didn't go picking a whole bunch of berries and put them in the freezer. You had jam maybe that you can, but right. that's about it. So you can go to the grocery store and buy bags of frozen blueberries in 1977. You had raisins in the pantry and what is pie, but a delivery system for fat and joy, right? (laughs) Because pie shell is made out of the fat of an animal. Typically in in Canada here, it would have been made, I suppose out of butter, but even more traditionally lard. Lard. Well, what is lard? Lard is the um, accumulation of sun's energy in the fat of an animal until they were started to be farmed indoors. When a pig is allowed to express its pigness and is outside, then he or she is going to gather the sun's energy and store that extra vitamin D in its fat. One teaspoon of lard has about a thousand international units of vitamin D3. In the usable form, you can use two to three. You don't have to convert anything. It's already ready to go. So my grandmother making this pie has lard in it. So she's bringing the sun. She has the raisins because that's what's left in the cupboard. And she's added sugar and a slurry of flour to sort of bulk it up Mm -hmm. and brings joy to the table in a raisin pie to Mm -hmm. my grandfather, one of his favorite foods. How is this raisin pie not a symbol of making it through lean times and still bringing joy? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's the thing, role. like there's food once upon a time used to bring communities together. Yeah. It, it was, and we were, we were more united as a people. We were more united with nature. Yeah. We didn't see ourselves as separate. Like here we are in this building. We're so separate from nature, but we are nature. Mm-hmm. Right. And that food was part of our yeah. nature and it was such a part of our yeah. seasonal cycles and our rhythms. Yes. And, and we've lost all those rhythms. We're just, and, and thinking about the ancestors that like, I tell people, like you are the keepers of your genes. You are not mm-hmm. the owners of your genes. It is your responsibility to keep that gene pool thriving and strong and healthy mm-hmm. because what you do now prior to having your children is going to impact generations down the road. And every, with every generation, as we get more and more toxic, more and more poison, and we care more, less and less about food, you know, every, it's like, well, I did this. I'm fine. It's like, well, yeah, the next generation is starting off a little worse than you did. Yeah. And then a the little worse than you did. And then what? Mm-hmm. What are, what are It's we totally tied to the microbiome, right. too. It right? is. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about the microbiome. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So yeah. first of all, okay, so this is, I really feel that the microbiome is at threat. And we know from the last 10 years of research, at least, that this is an integral part and we are nothing without our microbiome more of our genes are coming from microbes than they are from our own human cells right Mm -hmm. like there's a diversity Mm -hmm. within us that cannot be explained by our genes because we don't have enough of them to explain that so the microbiome so let's talk about what is the microbiome how does it form why 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 do we care 
Why do we care? So the microbiome, we have coexisted with bacteria and virus and fungi and yeasts and protozoa and uh, all parasites, all kinds of tiny microscopic, I mean, viruses aren't alive, everything else is alive, but we have co-evolved with this swamp of life and viruses over millennia. We would not be who we are without the building blocks that the single cell organisms would have built along the way, along with bacteria, viruses, and the co-mingling of all of this stuff. And microbiome to winnow it down briefly to what it is. So in your gut, I mean, well, okay, so you have micro, your microbiome essentially is that collection of small lives that's what micro and biome mm -hmm. means. This collection mm -hmm. of small living organisms on your skin, inside of orifices, inside of organs, and everywhere in between. So everyone who's walking on the earth right now has 10 bacterial cells for every one human cell. Now, the reason you don't see the bacteria is because a human cell is about the size of a three-story house, whereas mm -hmm. a bacteria is the size of a pinhead. So you're not able to see the bacteria, right. you're not able to see the little single cell uh, organisms that live within us because they're so tiny compared to a human cell. But you are more a bag of bacteria than you are anything else, mm -hmm. than viruses. Mm -hmm. So this is yeah. so fascinating to me. So uh, your microbiome is a naturally occurring thing that you have on surface, inside orifices, and inside your digestive tract. So the bacteria that lives on dry skin on your hands is very different from the bacteria that lives within the hair on your head is very different from the bacteria that lives inside of your mouth is very different from the bacteria that lives in your armpits is very different from the bacteria that lives in your nether regions, your fun times, your private parts. <laughs> <Fun yours. times. laughs> Yay life. <laughs> and so dependent on the region of your body, you have a very distinct collection of bacteria, viruses, fungi, yeast, all these guys. Uh, and they are, they tend to resemble that of the people you're hanging out with or you're dancing with. Mm. And by dancing, I mean, I mean the arm around. So mm. I'm so mm. professional. Um, so, <laughs> so these, this collection of bacteria, fungi, and yeast, they all live in different areas of the body. Now, what the, the microbiome piece that we're really wanting to focus on today is the microbiome of the gut. Why it's such an important part is because it plays an integral role in helping to teach your immune system, these are my cells and this is other. We need to take this out of commission. We need to, okay, immune system, we need to take this guy down. Don't touch these cells, but take this down. So the bacteria, your microbiome, actually play an active role in helping the body decipher between my cells, not my cells, take it down. Mm -hmm. So people who have autoimmune diseases have lost some capacity to identify certain cells and certain organs, you know, the autoimmunity called Hashimoto's, you start to lose, you have autoimmune issues where your immune system is actually attacking your thyroid. Uh, things like scleroderma, then that is an autoimmune disease that can show up in the skin. Um, there's different ones, right? And they have different ways of manifesting. That's because your immune system has lost that ability to identify those cells as yours and to, to sort of protect essentially, again, with the war talk. I'm working really hard at dismantling the war talk in the way that I explain things. So mm -hmm. I apologize as I work through it, please work with me on it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so this microbiome piece we're talking about is from gums to bum in Dr. Terry Willard's very brilliant analogy from mm -hmm. gums to bum. You have more bacteria than 
there are people in the world. In fact, actually, even just on your hand, there's more bacteria on your hand than there are people in the world. So just to give you a concept of But numbers. not all those people, it just, what about this, so what we're doing? We're, we're, mm -hmm. How many times a day are people sanitizing and yeah. destroying that? Yeah, which, I, and, and the regulations are coming from people who I think are truly believing that they are helping protect people. Like I, I, wanna, I wanna give them that benefit of the doubt because I don't wanna join You're in more the war. generous side than I. <laughs> I don't wanna join in the war. I'm working hard I get it, at dismantling but considering the, war. the science, yeah. we, we do have, I mean, oh, I think so on the there's, there's website, some... there's 40 or 50 hand sanitizers that are being recalled right now. Yeah, know which is terrifying to me. Yeah. So if you are in places where you are having to use sanitizer, find some better alternatives that could be a homemade one or one that has a lot less chemicals in it. If you are in that place where you have to have a hand sanitizer. So, you know, for my kid who's going to school, she's got a hand sanitizer of homemade stuff. So that we feel okay with and she's meeting the requirements she's not stressed out about having to buck the system as a 15 year old mm. like she and also I think when people are putting those measures in I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are working at creating and coming from a place of benevolence uh, I'm also coming from a place of benevolence that looks at all of the information that's out there in order to make a more critical thinking aspect or take a more critical thinking approach to things. So let's look at all of it. Now your microbiome, why it's such an important role here is from your gums to your bum, you have so many different types of bacteria that are living from the beginning of your mouth right to the tail end of the gut. Your microbiome rests in the gut lining sort of as a third layer of protection. So let's go through what the gut looks like. This is a very gut 101 class kind of thing. Your intestinal lining is one cell thick. It always has been, always will be. And your cells are joined like this. So the junctions between the cells, the goal is to eventually get the junctions really nice and tight. So when these are nice and tight, they're able to produce what's called a mucosal barrier. So that mucosa lives as the secondary layer. In that mucosal barrier now lives the third layer. That third layer is your microbiome. So the microbiome is that collection of bacteria, fungi, viruses, which is not a living component, that's okay, uh, fungus, yeasts, protozoa, uh, all kinds of little mm -hmm. tiny microscopic beings that are living there, and they are always working at the balance thing. So we, if, if you study the, the microbiome of traditional people who have not had any outside exposure or intermingling with the change of their diet and, and they're still living as a traditional way of their people, mm -hmm. when you explore what their microbiome looks like under the microscope, the diversity is enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And if you compare that to the microbiome of people living in places like Western society, we have a much more reduced diversity in our microbiome. So there is something that's happening in the way that we're speeding through life now that is having an impact on the diversity. And why diversity is important is because it is that balance of, there's not good guys, there's not bad guys. Mm -hmm. They are all working to figure out right. the balance. There's a wisdom and an innate um, intelligence in how they're working to keep the balance going. So when something flares up, there is an innate intelligence behind that flare up, either to send a signal to let us know that something's up so we can change things, or because that needs to take care of something else, I think. So mm -hmm. we need, these imbalances are an invitation to explore a little bit deeper.
So what does an imbalance look like? Well, an imbalance looks like anybody who has had a round of antibiotics, not anti-antibiotics. Antibiotics will save people from death. I would have lost probably a few family members to pneumonia if we hadn't had the intervention of antibiotics. But now that we're far ahead into the research, the research is showing that while antibiotics can uh, save us in that drastic moment, in the acute moment, we are now tasked with having to, or we're invited to now rebuild the diversity in the microbiome at the gut level mm -hmm. in order to reintroduce the diversity, because that's one of the things that is a side impact of some of these medications. So now that we understand this role, then we need to be mindful about when we use these uh, antibiotics and do the rebuilding protocols afterwards. They need to be a part of the entire system if we are truly looking to support life and honor the life of the person, right? They're not just a receiver of something, they are a part of our system. We're not separate. They're not separate from being alive. So the microbiome can also be impacted by stress. Stress has a very big impact on shutting down the diversity and on really impacting the pH level, which now has a major impact on changing the diversity. Um, a lot of the foods that we eat can also have a really big impact. So genetically modified foods have been shown to actually wipe out bacteria. So our genetic modification or genetic, sorry, genetically modified foods can have a negative impact and it's cumulatory, right? So it accumulates. So I, there's somebody, I can't remember where I saw this, but there was somebody who said, you know, anybody under the age of 70 essentially has pretty much an imbalance at the gut of some sort where there is a leaky gut component as well. And that's another contributing factor. There's a lot of foods. We're, we're now farming our foods to be higher in lectins. So I'm not against lectins. I think lectins are a naturally occurring thing in foods. Lectins are just a plant compound. So think of it in a tomato skin. So lectins help solidify cell walls. So it makes them nice and robust. So a tomato that's being bred to have a robust skin because we're trucking it over from four countries over in the dead winter then it has to have intact skin. Well, a higher lectin count skin, tomato, will survive longer and will be able to be on the shelves longer for you to purchase in the dead of winter, where we wouldn't traditionally be eating tomatoes unless you would have canned some type of salsa or sauce at this time of year. So the higher lectin content, lectin contributes to the intestinal lining level where it starts to push the cells apart and when you start to push the cells apart, part of the issue is that you start to slow down the ability to make the mucosal barrier. And your bacteria, your microbiome, live in that mucosal barrier and actually feast on it. They need the, the mucosal barrier to be in good working order mm -hmm. in order to have something to hang on to and something to live in and something to, to actually to munch on. It sounds gross, but they feast on your mucosal barrier what, between meals. So they need that, it's like a safe haven for them. So the more our cells start to come apart, the more patchy our mucosal barrier is, the more it starts to have a negative impact on the diversity of the microbiome. So on top of this, your intestinal lining is folded in and of itself. If you take your entire guts and you were to spread them out in one single area, you'd cover, I think it's a tennis court. One to two, Zach, no, tennis courts. A one tennis to two court, tennis yeah. courts, Zach Bush talks about. Yeah. Like he says up to two, but yeah. So which is right. like, so how did you put an entire tennis court in there? Right. I'll tell you, you fold Not it the fold. and you fold, essentially, there's three layers of fold. The first layer, mm -hmm. think of it as a hand. So there's all these folds. Now on each of these folds, you now have a secondary layer of folds. And on each of this secondary layer of folds, 
So say on this guy, now you've got a third layer of folds. Where does your microbiome live? Right in there. Mm -hmm. When there's inflammation happening at the gut, what happens is your, these are your villi. The folds are called your villi. So those villi start to swell and they come together and they collapse and they fall sideways. Where's your microbiome? Well, it's locked in there. Mm -hmm. That's partially where the problem is. Your microbiome that's been living in there is trapped and it's not able to get at the food sources that are coming through the intestinal tract. Mm. So when you eat food, yeah, you're eating to feed your cells, of course, but you're also eating to feed the bugs of your gut. Yes, you are. So in this world that we're currently living in, where there's a lot of things contributing to inflammation at the gut level, and that is ground zero for everything, we're now contributing to those villi coming together, swelling together, collapsing, and limiting how much our microbiome is now able to access. It's important for our microbiome to have access to the foods that are coming in because they help us digest. They break some of those foods down so we can actually get the nutrients we need. B, is it B not B6, B9, I can't remember. There's one of the, there's a, well, B12 too. Mm -hmm. Your microbiome is really integrated in the system of how digestion works to actually extract some of those nutrients out of the food so you can have them in usable form. And produce them. And they produce them, them as well. So they help get at them. They also produce them as a side project mm -hmm. because they're, they work for you, not against you. And these, these bugs, when they're trapped, can't do it. So now you're starting to, Im to impact how well you're able to get the nutrients out of the foods you're eating, and you're getting a reduced amount of nutrients that your microbiome would naturally be producing anyway. So now we're talking about nutrient deficiencies in people. And what do nutrient deficiencies mean? Ah, oh, well, I'll just pop a B6 pill and I'll be fine. Mm. That's not actually the way it works. When there is a nutrient deficiency, it can be, you could be eating all the right foods in the world, but if there's a problem at the gut level with assimilation, like getting the food from the intestinal lining into the body, if there's a problem there, that's one of the issues. If you have something happening at the microbiome level, now you can't extract the nutrients either, having a hard time getting them out of the food. And also you're not getting the microbiome producing these nutrients. So it's a nutrient deficiency on so many different levels that starts mm -hmm. to snowball. Why is that important? Well, I'll tell you. So if you think of, this was Dr. Bonnie Kaplan. She's, a, she's fantastic. She's somebody you could totally interview. Dr. Bonnie Kaplan. I, I love her. Know she is a PhD. She's now retired, but she's a PhD uh, instructor at the Cummings School of Medicine here at the University of Calgary. Oh. And she has her doctorate in nutrition. And in, uh, she, bring, she brings light to the importance of micronutrients for mental health. And she's so well-versed and she explains it in this beautiful fashion. She has this one specific slide. Okay, everybody knows the whole tryptophan thing, right? So tryptophan makes you sleep, right? The turkey. Mm -hmm. Turkey yeah. at Thanksgiving, everyone eats the turkey because it's rich in tryptophan. Well, tryptophan makes everybody sleep. It's not actually tryptophan that does it. For it to make you fall asleep, tryptophan needs to convert to serotonin and then to melatonin. So for that process to go from tryptophan to serotonin to melatonin, there's a few different stages. So I'll call them recipes. So you need different nutrients to make that conversion. Some of those nutrients needed in there are nutrients that your microbiome produces. So for example, I think you need iron and zinc and B6 and magnesium and B9 in some instances. And I can't remember which one where. But she has a brilliant slide that explains it. Well, if you take B6 out of the equation, you don't have B6, you're not able to get it from your diet, you're not able to absorb it. You're not able to produce it with your microbiome at the gut level. 
what does this impact? Take B6 out, well, it's an ingredient in your recipe. Well, you, mm. you just can't make the conversion. You cannot take tryptophan to make it into serotonin. And women, that's a huge one for women too, right? And the hormonal balance one. and progesterone production and yeah. PMS. And, and that everything. first conversion actually yes, happens huge. with endocrine cells that you have lining your gut. So like there's so many pieces so many to the gut that are all in, in uh, such an integral part of it. Your microbiome is deeply involved with your endocrine system, with your gut. If you also understand that there's anywhere between 70 to 80% of your immune system lives at the gut level. Yes. Yeah. And your immune system is essentially taught by your microbiome. If you have microbiome issues or there's an imbalance or your guts are on fire, now you're starting to impact immune function. You're starting to impact glandular function and hormonal balance. Sleep can get disrupted. Mood can get disrupted. You may now have a heavier load for your liver to handle. So now you are having a hard time making thyroid hormone conversions. So now your energy and metabolism are starting to slow. You might start to see libido issues. You might start to see mood uh, imbalances and anxiety ramp up. You may start to have histamine issues. You may start to have aches and pains in different parts of the body. And when you go to get your blood tests done, oh, everything yeah, looks normal. Good, yeah. <laughs> it's all in your head. I'll tell you, it's actually in your, when they mean it's all in your head, they mean it's in your second brain, it's, which is your gut. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they're kind of right. So like really what doesn't, I, I, I don't know if anything is not impacted by that. The microbiome, we know it's like an, it's like an iceberg. You know, they say there's one eight up top and right. there's seven eights yeah, yeah, underneath. Yeah. We have an even scrape the top surface of the one eight. We're going to learn so much more. It's such a new and exciting place to, uh, to be discovering things and being a part of that scientific community that's doing a lot of the research into the microbiome. But we really don't understand don't. the depth of how intricately a role our microbiome plays on our brain, on our mood, on our hormones, on our stress levels, on our emotional resiliency, on our adrenals, on our skin, on our liver, on our thyroid, on our spleen, on like all like cancer, of the cancer. Even they talk about like looking at the microbiome of the breast tissue, right? And they mm. they look at the healthy breast. It's like, mm. oh, well, there's some bacteria in there. Maybe or no, they look at that that the, the diseased breast. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's bacteria in there. It's like, oh, maybe this is a bacterial issue in breast cancer. But it turns out there's also bacteria in the healthy breast, but the predominant bacteria are different. Exactly. So it's so the, the altered microbiome, right? So yeah. they're still there, but so it's the altered multiple. And it's microbiome. not that one of them is bad. No, either. It, it, that's the thing. We have this concept of it. It's war. bad bacteria. And I hate saying good and bad. It's balance, and they all have their roles. It's about the balance. Yes. They all have their roles. Absolutely. A million, a million, Absolutely. a million percent. Yes. So the microbiome in our guts now have an influence on the microbiome in your lungs because you have a microbiome in your lungs. They have an influence on the microbiome happening in uh, anything that's connected to the gut. So uh, when they say wipe front to back, uh, because you don't want to intermix. Wipe. Oh, so sorry. They're Women. intermixing anyway. Specifically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, you, your bacteria in your gut is having a sway on the bacteria happening in the vaginal canal. So when we, the way to actually how we get our first microbiome, it starts actually, they initially thought that babies were born sterile mm -hmm. and it's no longer the case. Mm -hmm. They've done some research. It's fascinating to see. 
Uh, there is a Microbiome Institute, I think that's what it's called in New York City, which is doing a lot of really brilliant research. We have a Microbiome Research uh, Institute here in Calgary as well, associated with the UFC. I think maybe it's time to go back to school and mm. do a master's there for mm. me. What? Ah. I don't know. No, that's, I dream big. Uh, <laughs> I plan to live a long life. Uh, so what happens is, what was I talking about? How it's formed. Oh yeah, so how your microbiome is formed, it, we are not born sterile. What happens is when the baby is in utero, the placenta starts to actually develop a microbiome. Mm -hmm. And the, the microbiome that's found in the placenta closely mimics the microbiome of what's happening in the microbiome of mama's mouth. Mm -hmm. So whatever's happening in the mouth for mama, is starting to do what we call the seeding of baby's microbiome, much like a garden, you're seeding a garden. It is, it's a brilliant analogy. Uh, and whatever mom's got going on in her mouth is what's starting in the placenta for baby. And that's what starts to seed things for the babe in utero. Now, as you can imagine, as birth comes around, when the baby comes through the birth canal, if things are going as they should or as Mother Nature intended, thank goodness we live in the current age that we do where some babies who wouldn't naturally make it are able to have a door put in, which was the case for my kiddo. But when the baby comes through the birth canal, what happens is they get a wash of bacteria. And they get a wash of bacteria that's naturally occurring. It's higher in lactobacillus, actually, in acidophilus, I think, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, vagina and that is the first really big hit of bacteria that baby will get because they're getting squished right so as you can imagine all of the fluid that surrounds the baby and the mom's fun parts um <laughs> those are going to make their way they wash the baby they get into the orifices they get into the ears they get into yeah. the baby's armpits they touch the knees, they touch the privates, they get into their bump. And babies coming very close to whatever also microbiome is happening in mom's gut that is influencing the bacteria that's just outside of the rectum as well. Everything is very closely related. So whatever mom has going on in her own microbiome is essentially what the baby inherits. And that is where the baby starts. So if mom, as you can imagine, if the mom has had any things occurring or influencing her microbiome over the course of her life, She's had 25, 30, 40 years, however, whenever you have your baby, she's had those years to develop that microbiome and she's now passing this on to babe. So what we're starting to see, some of those impacts is that when some babies are having uh, health issues that are very closely tied to microbiome imbalances, we're starting to see that if you go back one generation and two generations, you would see the beginning manifestation of some of these microbiome imbalances. Mm -hmm. And what happens is each generation just feels it a bit more keenly. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that our children are going to have to work through is we're starting to come around to this. And so we're working at rebuilding the microbiome for women and, and uh, women, people who identify as women, or I don't want to tie gender to it, but those people who are having babies, um, we are having to do some work to rebuild the microbiome and everyone who's involved in the making of a baby, all body parts involved, have a sway on the microbiome. You tend to reflect the microbiome of the people you hang out with, especially your intimate partners and people that you kiss and snuggle with or people that you have sexual intercourse with. Mm -hmm. All of the bacteria are just being swapped all the time. And so everyone involved, this is a, it's a crucial time to start to rebuild that microbiome and put the happy things in place 
so that our babies who are going to be born in the future will have the good microbiome to start with and a solid foundation for life. So that's one of the things. Now your microbiome, you, there's two parts of the microbiome. There is, I wish I would have read to remember what the names are. Is it commensal? There's oh, commensal, commensal bacteria. I'm yeah. so French, commensal. Commensal. <laughs> But your commensal bacteria, I read a lot, as you can tell, uh, the commensal bacteria is what you, you get in the first 18 months of life. And that's what settles in those villi. And once you have that, you're kind of set for life. You can sway it a little bit, but they are really grabbed hold in there. I think my, I, this is not based in science, but these are where I go with thinking. Leaky gut, babies are born with leaky gut. P.S. Mm. Not a worrisome thing because right. Mother Nature set it up that way to be leaky gut so that the immune system would learn what's okay and what's not okay. So now we're dealing with people who have leaky gut at the age of 18, at the age of 45, at the age of 72, at the age of 37. And that is not what would have happened prior. This really would have only been in a baby from zero to 18 months. And over the first 18 months with the diet, and typically it would have been through breast milk, of course, mm -hmm. breast milk is strategically put together by mother nature. It's a brilliant innovation that helps cultivate those good bacteria happening. It, it's a super probiotic rich product that helps to cultivate the good bacteria at the gut level that help to knit the gut lining back together, that helps to really build a strong microbiome inside those villi. Here we are, a few generations on now, where we've had leaky gut for a couple of generations, past the moment where we should. So I think it's an adaptation. I wonder if at some point we're not gonna figure out that it's, a, it's an adaptation and an invitation to rebuild it and to reteach and to fortify that gut lining. I think we'll, it will always be a case of fortifying and really building robust health and integrity at the gut lining. And the microbiome is a part of it, your mucosal barrier is a part of it, and the intestinal lining is a part of it. So there's three pieces you need to address, I think. Right, right, right. And for women, also a really big thing is we're now in a few generations of women being on the pill. And the women, yeah. contraceptives, we can't have it on the microbiome as well. So we've got yeah. the antibiotics, we've got poor food, we've yeah. got the chemicals that are being sprayed, we've got the contraceptives. Yeah. Like our poor and babies are fit and the stress, massive. And look at, so look at where we're at right now. So let's yeah. bring this to modern day, today. Okay. People are stressed out. They are afraid. Yeah. They, it is very apparent. And this is what really struck me when this first started. Like, okay, well, there's a virus going around. I'll just do what I keep doing and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bring in my tonic herbs or whatever. And I'll just ensure that me and my family are healthy, but it's very apparent that people don't know how to take care of themselves. The average diet is not one that feeds a nice diverse microbiome. Exactly. They're not eating, you know, fermented foods as much or liquids or anything like mm -hmm. that. And they have, they have a lot of, of, even young people on a lot of medication. So there's so many things. And then there's that mental emotional thing. And then there's the fear of not understanding. And then they just go into survival mode and they just do what they're told. Yes. And so now we are having our kids that are masked and, and adults, but the kids are really concerning me because they're the ones that have their life to develop. So I don't know what loss of life is going to look like as a result of what we're doing now, but we've got masks, we've got sanitizer, we've got no recommendations for real food. We've got no recommendations about supporting the microbiome and supporting, you know, immune system. Uh, we're distancing from people. We're alone. We're lonely. We're depressed. We're sad. We're scared. But there are recommendations for some of that out there. 
There you are, have to go look you do, them. there absolutely are. Mm -hmm. and, and through things like this, and then I'm obviously where I'm looking, definitely. But in the mainstream yep. or from government sources, there's none of that. And people are actually having their licenses being threatened to be taken away by recommending that people have basic nutrients and things like that. And just going to the common sense, like, okay, well, let's talk about common sense. It's like, it's all about protection rather than building and being robust and being resilient. So and, it's an invitation. Right? So it it's is an, an invitation. invitation. So right this now. is an opportunity, I think, to, exactly. Oops. <laughs> to, build, to build the new. Right. So yeah. what is the impact now? What do you see that now and in the future? So it's a long-term impact, right? There's so many things that are impacting our mental health. First thing, more than anything, there is a lot of um, the part that really sets me off or the part that makes me mad actually mm -hmm. is the amount of fear that there is. And to me, I find personally, it's a really fine balance walk on a very thin balance beam where it feels that there is a lot of fear coming from both sides. So, it, and, 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 and rightly so, because we're at a time where we have to change things. So the call to change is there, right? right? Yeah. But the, the, key, the key piece for me is that there's so much anxiety and fear that is being cultured and cultivated. It is a time of red alert, red alert, red alert everywhere. Inflammation in the body is the body going red alert, red alert, red alert. So not only are we now having the red alert within ourselves, we've got the red alert going from the world. Like the fires right now, as we're recording this, the fires in California and on the Pacific Northwest, how is the, how is the world not going red alert, red alert, there's a problem. So when there is this problem of red alert, as opposed to turning on the fear, I'm gonna invite people to see it as an invitation to try something new to approach it mm -hmm. from a 180. So I do this a lot when I'm working with clients, like if you can, you know, if you're standing here and you're looking at the issue thinking like, this is a terrifying issue. We are at a precipice of time. We need to act now. The fear, the, oh my God, the, <laughs> and we're building all of this anxiety around it. What if, Take a step away, let go of the emotions as best as you can and let, leave them there. Don't like, don't bury them, but just put them in a pile there and take a step back. Now come around and do 180 and come look at it from another point of view. Could that give you a leg up in helping your own inner capacity? I don't even know how to describe that, but that's the feeling of going, mm -hmm. so to me, it is actually an invitation to do that step away from don't discount the feelings you've got, but take a step away and come look at it from the other point of view. So here we are at a time where there's a lot of fear mongering and a lot of stressors that are being put on people. So it's an invitation to see it as a chance to change some things. That's how I see it. It's a 180 degree that feels a lot better. Now, what are some of the things that I can put in place? Even the fact of taking away, taking away, we're taking away liberties, we're taking away um, your capacity to congregate in groups. And I understand the reasoning behind it comes from a place of, well, we're looking at the way that the virus spreads and we don't want to make people sick. Absolutely, we don't want to make people sick. I don't want anyone to suffer in this world. I don't think that's a realistic outcome, unfortunately. No. But nowhere are we saying anything of the sort where we are saying it's a natural thing and let it run its course. Not at all. What I am proposing is Here's what we are being told and here's what's going on in the world. On 
this little island over here is a list of things that you can start putting in place for yourself. Do you want to come to this island and take a peek and come at it from a 180 degree? What are some of the pieces you can put in place for your own personal responsibility and for that of your genetics coming and those who came? So what kind of pieces can you put in place to support yourself through this and those who are at your table? Because if there's anything in all of this, it feels, to me, it feels so overwhelming as uh, everyone has to do their part. I suppose so, but everyone has the invitation to change things within the four walls of their own home, first and foremost. That is where you can have a sway. So it's an invitation to start there. It's not a war. We're not taking anybody down. What we're doing is we're starting to bring in some of the good practices to really support a robust immune system, first and foremost, so that, God forbid you get the virus, your body has the tools in place to actually move through the viral infectious stage and the repercussions that come afterwards because of its impact on different systems in the body. Well, to, just to inter interrupt here, like yeah. Dr. Zach Bush will say, there's nothing, a healthy person has nothing to fear. Like, this is where we're really coming and seeing the results of our choices. Oh yeah. Right? So we have, Immunocompromised people, we have yeah. polluted air and all those things. And that creates a mix that is not turning out well for people. Generally of a much older age, but not only, but mostly. But Compromised some health. would say this, it, it's an essential, now there's a question, is this a natural virus? Is this is a whatever, creating a lab? Okay, whatever. Regardless, it is proving out that most people are faring just fine. And others would say, that this is an absolutely necessary upgrade to our genes. I mean, the placenta was made possible through a viral insertion. I know. Dr. Zach Bush will tell us it, right? Also, it's fascinating 50% of our DNA yeah. is due to viral insertion. We depend on viruses for life. Viruses are just a genetic material envelope that is not mm -hmm. living, that works to come and insert into cells. Like that's the science of it. We're not, we're not saying anything outrageous here. That's the mechanism no. of what a virus yeah. does. So it's, I am, I am about building the new, building the good, and what are those practical things that you can put in place in order to, you know, there's the, the regulations that are being put out, put forth by the general bodies of um, authority right now. And so with that, what are the other pieces that you can also put in place to further support mm -hmm. your own ability to move with a bit more ease through the current times we're going through. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have, do you want me to go through my list of five? I got go, my five go points. Go through your list, absolutely. Because I got your five yeah, points, yeah. are you ready? These are your practical pieces that you can put in place. What do I do if I want to look after my microbiome? Well, understanding that your microbiome works in tandem with your immune system to support your own health and your ability to move with ease through a disease, whether it's a bacterial infection or a viral infection, how can we support our immune system to best work through something like that? There's five things. If you're going to be looking after your microbiome, this needs to be the biggest piece of the equation. Look after your microbiome. Well, what does it take to mine a happy microbiome? I got five things for you. Number one, eat real food. Mm -hmm. There's so many people right now who are gonna think like, oh yeah, whatever, I eat real food. Like Doritos are real food. Okay, well, Doritos are not real food because they're manufactured by a machine somewhere. They taste delicious. They are based off of food uh, plants. Yeah, for sure, there's corn involved in there and there's a bunch of other things. 
but I would quantify that as something that your grandmother would recognize as real food. Mm -hmm. So Michael Pollan says it well, eat real food, foods that your mother could, your grandmother could read and understand what the ingredients are. That's one of the first and biggest key players and biggest needle movers ever. Eat real Okay, food. so look at, I'm eating some great whole wheat bread that is, or even a wheat product, but it, it doesn't say organic on it. Is that the same as a wheat product that does say organic on it? A million percent, so, no. Yeah, so really good question. So I, I generalize the, re, the rules as the eat real food, but there's so many small pieces in the real food piece. Yeah. And grains, if you are consuming anything that has the potential of developing a seed, uh, anywhere in North America, it's grown here, so lentils are beans, we're talking grains, wheat, rye, barley, millet, um, hemp seeds even. Anything <clears throat> that has the potential of building a seed that can be used in our food supply, or you could plant the seed to have a plant, has the potential to shut down your own digestion. So first things first, activating the food is going to be one of the helpers. So activating it by turning it into a sourdough loaf. So when you ferment the grains mm -hmm. first, or if you soak them with something fermented in it, like when you're going to be cooking things like, uh, I made some rye last night actually, I cooked rye. So I soaked it for 24 hours, just whole rye grains in water with a little bit of apple cider vinegar for 24 hours. In that 24 hour period, you are drastically turning off the things that contribute to your cells at the intestinal lining coming out, uh, coming apart. And you're also turning off some of the chemical compounds found in grains that steal from your own mineral stores. So in the soaking of those rye kernels that went into my delicious chicken soup last night, uh, I turned a lot of that stuff off in order to really protect the intestinal lining. So when I say real food, that's level 400 for a lot of people. Some people need to just start by reducing going out for lunch five days a week to reducing it to four days a week and bringing a lunch from home. You get to decide how fast you wanna go from your current way of eating two ways that would be supportive to your microbiome. You get to decide the pace. I have tools at the ready, of course I can help you, but I'll tell you eating real food is going to be the biggest needle mover. And by real food, I mean actual food. I mean, if you want a chocolate chip cookie, if you make the chocolate chip cookie yourself, it's going to be inherently more supportive to your microbiome, whether you're using organic grains or not, I'll get into the other piece of organic grains. Yeah. Doesn't, that's a better step than buying something that has 82 different ingredients that have been pulverized and put together by a machine. The livelihood, the life in that food is completely gone. The life in the food of the cookies that you made because there's flour, butter, brown sugar, chocolate chips. What else you put in there? Sometimes oats if you want, eggs. whatever. Eggs, I suppose, yes, eggs that list of ingredients is much more supportive to your microbiome than something that has 82 different mechanically separated egg yolks, blah, blah, blah. Natural things. flavors, potentially it's preservatives, not natural, but you know, things like that. That's the other thing. <laughs> preservatives contribute to your cells coming apart. Mm -hmm. So that sets the, the, the thing right from the get-go where your microbiome is going to have a hard time making ends meet at the gut lining. So eating real food, when we're talking about grains and beans and lentils and all of those things, Another way to think about eating real food is to move on to going organic. 
Part of it is uh, all of the crops that are grains grown in North America are sprayed with a product just before harvest in order to um, speed up the harvest of the grain and to dry them. So it desiccates them. And the idea there, it's a brilliant idea to do that because it doesn't gum up the machinery of the farmer's uh, combines that are coming to gather all of this stuff. So the machinery can last longer and it doesn't gum up the works. It also forces all of the seeds to ripen at the same time so that you have a better yield on your product. So that's the end result of things that are sprayed with the product um, just before harvesting. Well, that product, which will remain nameless, also contributes. <laughs> I want to start fires. We can say there's, what it is here. There's enough fires. If you want, to, you can do research. But I'm not here to demonize, and I'm not here to start a war either. I'm here to we just bring light. Do you need to know that one of the most successful chemicals on this planet yeah. is killing the planet? It's an antibiotic. It's, it directly affects your tight junctions. It's. I'm going to say it. It's glyphosate. Right? This is what they're desiccating potatoes with, with grains with, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So, so where you're able you to, to, to make the move to an organic crop of those versions, so all of your barley, rice, um, your wheat, your uh, lentils, beans, mm -hmm. millet, uh, potatoes, um, all of those types of growth, if you can swap to an organic version, now you're actually, they are not allowed to use that Roundup product. So that chemical product is not used. So then you're taking one of the contributors to leaky gut out of the equation. So that's, Absolutely. when I say eat real food, there's a few different pieces that fall under the real food. So first things first, if you want to rebuild your microbiome, things you could do in your own home. First of all, eat real food. Number one. Understanding there's a lot of different pieces to this. Yes. I have many, many tools in my toolkit for you to get that on your plate and to take six months to do it. Number two, ensure variety. There is nothing better to rebuild your microbiome than to eat a diverse amount of food from plants to animals to fats. The foods you eat have a sway on what's happening at the gut. So if you think of it, one of the ways that I think of ensuring diversity in my diet is every week I try to pick three different vegetables. So this week it's carrots and celery and potatoes because that's what's coming in from Blue Mountain Biodynamics and that's what's coming out of my garden right now. Excellent. Mm. Next week I'm going to probably go for broccoli, uh, leeks, actually I still have leeks in the fridge, uh, and mm. something different. So every week try three key different ingredients or different vegetables or fruit uh, to bring diversity. The other way to think about this is to eat with the seasons. So right now you've got a whole bunch of, you know, we're recording this at uh, middle of September. Well, there's tons of tomatoes. There's tons of root vegetables starting to come up. We're, where is the sun stored? Where is the sun's energy stored? We are all just chasing the sun. That is all we are doing in being alive. We are a true expression of the sun. The microbiome feasts on the foods that were fed from the sun's energetics. We are only energetic beings that are only reflecting the sun to the sun. <gasps> wow, that's amazing. So that way. seek where the sun is stored. Where is the sun currently stored? So right now in September, we've got tomatoes, root vegetables, beets. Oh my God, the beets. The beets are amazing right now. The wow. soup I made last night had potatoes and carrots from my garden with leek and celery from a farm up the road with some rye from a farm up the road as well and chicken from a farm up the road. Everything, and I made some stock out of chicken yes. gizzards actually from Blue Mountain. So it was, I was just marveling as I'm smelling it last night. I thought, this is the smell of 
central Alberta right now in my mouth. And it's amazing. You, you can't, you cannot, especially if you eat seasonally because you haven't had those foods for a long time, right? So then you have that renewed appreciate because you're like, you're kind of done with summer salads maybe and it's yeah. getting cold. It's like, oh, and then this new yeah. flavor that you get to enjoy and experience and just yeah. fully immerse yourself into yeah. for this season. Yeah. Right? yeah. So the whole eating, ensuring diversity in your foods, one of those ways is to move with the season. So that's a really great invitation. The foods you want to eat in spring are very different. When the, when the sorrel and the parsley and the chives come out of my garden, the green onions, I am so excited. Oh, and it just feels onions. like give me all of the greens. That's when I'm sprouting so many things in my kitchen. I wouldn't make sprouts now. It doesn't make all the sense in right. the world to me. Right. I tend to eat a lot of tomatoes at this time of year. And for me, tomatoes actually make me not feel awesome, but I can't <laughs> help it because they are so delicious. So I have aches and pains in my hands for the month of August and September. And then it starts to slow down in October because I'm not eating them as much as the rest of the year goes along. Oh my goodness. So that's the other piece to it. If there's a food that's contributing to some dietary stuff for you, by eating with the seasons and switching things up every season, if it's having an impact, it's not there for very long. There's still good things. There's lycopenes in tomatoes that help to prevent cancer. So if you know that there's lectins in the skin, then should you not eat the lectins? No, I don't think so. Are you, the, you, foods have so many different plays to their, like they have so many reasons. They are information for our body. They are nutrients for our body and our cells. They are nutrients to feed and, and, and cultivate a happy microbiome. Food is a way to bring people together. It's a way to support our community. Whatever food, you know, when we talk about ensuring diversity, one of the other pieces too is to see if you can go for local. And I understand that this starts to make it an out of your price point thing. This is not, a, we need to also actively work at making real food and local food affordable and accessible to all. So I'm, I think with that demand though, as it grows, mm -hmm. we'll have to, it, it will be, it'll be more available. The prices mm -hmm. will come down because there'll be more people wanting it, right? Exactly. And we've got to get back to our backyard gardens too. Exactly. I just love going to my backyard and picking 90% of the ingredients of what I'm going to put on my family's plate that yeah. night is coming from right there. It just makes me so happy. And there's tons good. of work that goes into it, right. but there was also a lot of intention that said, well, I'm going to prioritize planting things in my backyard. I understand there are some people who have economic barriers that are not able to grow things in the backyard that have time barriers because they're single moms and they can't plant a yeah. garden. I get it. You don't have to build the garden if you're not capable or able to at this particular stage of life. You may be able to at another stage. So in that sense, connecting with local producers, if you think of it, there's something about a cabbage that has been grown in Alberta versus a cabbage that's grown in China. So I happen to live in Alberta. So if I'm going to make sauerkraut out of the cabbage made in Alberta, I'm going to, when you're fermenting it, making sauerkraut out of it, you're cultivating the bacteria that lives in the soil of Alberta. So now you're allowing those bacteria to express themselves fully in your sauerkraut. And when you consume them, you're consuming the parts of the mysteries of fermentation and the proliferation of small celled life you are ingesting that and taking on the capacity that they have. They figured out how to survive and how to thrive in this environment. There's so much more in food information than just the nutrients we eat and calories. The calories. There's way more to food way than more. that. Yeah. If you make the same sauerkraut, but you use a cabbage that comes from China, I'm not against it. 
but you are harvesting the bacteria that were alive and thriving in China. So now in that fermentation process, you've inserted some of the bacteria that's naturally occurring in your environment on your hands. It's going in and it's becoming a global thing with the bacteria that's coming from China. And the bacteria from China are gonna try to really hard to try to figure out how to live in this environment. With all of the other things we don't even know to look for, the energetics or the light has a, a sway on how the bacteria thrives. The, the, the elevation, the, the, the quality of light. There, there's so many mysteries to how fermentation happens. Mm -hmm. But a fermentation of a cabbage from, from Alberta versus a fermentation of a cabbage from China, they will taste different because they have different populations of bacteria in them. Which one is better for you? Well, I think probably in the we're globalizing right now. I think both will give you benefits. But I'll tell you, I'm living in Alberta. I am looking to build resiliency where I am. I don't have any plans to go to China in the future. I'm not saying don't eat the, the cabbage from China, but I'm saying I, I sometimes do eat cabbage from China because in the dead of winter, that is actually sometimes the only place I can get it from. I'm not going to not eat it. But when I'm able to, I'm going to capitalize on the foods that are coming from our local region in order to rebuild my own microbiome. There's bacteria, even if you're not fermenting, the carrots I pulled from my garden yesterday and the potatoes, I scrubbed them and I put them in the pot. And still when I tasted the soup, there was a taste of earth. In the cooking of the soup, there was a lot of bacteria that was left as small little pieces clinging to the carrots and the potatoes because soil is actually just bacteria mm -hmm. predominantly. Uh, and that flavor was still in the soup. Now the bacteria were cooked out, but there's really good evidence that even cooked bacteria oh, still yes, bring still benefits to your gut and to your microbiome. Yeah. So whether you're eating raw ferments or you're cooking from local vegetables, you are starting to enhance that microbial barrier at the gut lining. So that's a really important part. So we've yeah. got two of the five so far I talked about. Eat real food, ensure diversity. Number three, get outside. We talk about this all the time. Get outside, get in as many different environments as you can. There is an exchange of microbiome with the different areas. So much like the different areas on your body have different bacterial um, cultures. So the guys, the types of bacteria living in your armpit are very different than the bacteria living in your hair. It's the same thing on the earth. The bacteria by the river are very different than the bacteria on the prairie grassland. They're very different ones and we interact with them through the microbiome in our lungs when we're out in the in our environment. So getting outside the bacteria and the viruses that are in the air, we need to interchange with, we need to interact with. We are a part of nature. We are not separate from nature. And we need to reconnect with nature in order to really mine that microbiome. It's a completely self-serving thing to do to get outside in nature. I'm realizing this as I'm talking about it. I'm like, <laughs> it is such a self-serving thing and a self-preservation thing to go outside in different environments to interact with those microbiomes. They have a sway on your own microbiome and they have the bacteria that's figured out how to thrive and they're still figuring out the balance. It's an always thing, but they've figured out the balance and in a natural way where it hasn't been disturbed, hopefully, that's now going to have a sway on your own. So getting outside, getting in rivers, swimming in different lakes and different rivers. There's a different microbiome to water. It's one of the best supporters of building a strong immune system. 
getting into your garden in the dirt too, in right? Dirt. I never wear gloves. I always get that dirt. And the bacteria nails. that comes out yes. has now been traced to be supportive to reducing anxiety and balancing moods. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> oh. So that's your third point okay. is to get outside. Your fourth one, if you want to build a happy microbiome, I would encourage you to get an animal. Get an animal. Animals naturally have a microbiome as well that is different from ours that then has a sway on our own. If you think of children who live on farms and who grow up on farms, they have many different types of animals. Well, each animal will have their own microbiome going on and that invites diversity because you're interacting with these animals through breathing, through being in that environment. And those animals are exchanging bacteria with you and we are building a balance ourselves with our animals. So if you're able to get an animal, uh, that's one of the ways. Borrow your neighbor's dog. Um, go visit horses. Uh, go, if you have a friend who has a farm or you know somebody you get your farm uh, produce from, connect with them to see if you can come spend a day. Sometimes farms will do that, sometimes they don't. It's dependent upon farms, contact them. But getting an animal into your regular rotation is one of the best microbiome builders. Now the fifth and final part, you can do number ones through four if you want, but if there is a degree of stress more in your life, it shuts down all the good work you're doing. Unfortunately, stress and fear, anxiety, emotional, um, the veil is thin where you feel the world keenly, that has a big dampening effect on your own immune system and on your own gut health more than anything else in the world. So before you do any of steps one through four, you really need to actively create a safe space. So safe space means reducing the stress, reducing the emotional stressors, reducing the go, go, go attitude you've got, reducing the need to do all of the things. My favorite way to turn this around feels really negative saying reduce this, do this. It's like your to-do list is getting long and that just adds mm. to my stress. Instead, take step away, leave the pile of emotions there, walk around, come back and say this instead. This is from one of my favorite people, Monica Carrado. She says, bless it and get on with it. Mm -hmm. So we need to bless it and get on with it. When you're able to do that, you're able to create the new. So this is, I think the call right now is to create the new, to build what we want to see, to be a participant, to be a part of, don't separate. Don't make it a different us versus them. There's no war. If there was a war, humans wouldn't be here. If viruses, bacteria were at war with us, we would not be here. It's not a war. It is a question of balance. It has always been a question of balance and the balance requires us to be a part of it. A balance requires us to be intentional about it. A balance requires us to create the safe space. The grown-ups we are waiting for, I often lament, where are the grown-ups? Where are the grown-ups? The grown-ups we are elders. waiting for are us. Where are the elders? Mm -hmm. We are what we were waiting for. Mm -hmm. So create the safe, bless it and get on with it. And then start with real food. Start making sure there's a diversity in it. Get outside and get that puppy. Everybody's gotten puppies these days. There's puppies everywhere right now. There was a shortage of puppies. And the beautiful, well, the beautiful thing is dogs also get you outside because you have to walk And yes, they do. Absolutely. I love my guy. Okay, amazing. That's the thing right now. There's so much division. There's so much stress. There's so much fear. 
I would say one of the best things you can do is turn that TV off and never turn it back on. And so much of this goes away, right? So much is just tap in and then, and then don't turn on the other stuff for a while either. You have to look for whatever you want to look for, but you have to find you the balance You get to turn yourself. within and we're, yeah. we're not, we're not trusting this. We're not yeah. trusting, does this feel right to me? Mm -hmm. Like what, what we've really disconnected with that. And I think we find, we'll find strength in that mm -hmm. if we can trust ourselves again. Yeah, and you do have a lot of innate knowledge to tap into and critical thinking that we invite. But start with knowing that you have the capacity to build resiliency for yourself, for your own immune system, for your own way of moving through the world, and for your own way of being a good ancestor. Really, that's, I heard a podcast on ideas recently, and it was, I forget the gentleman's name that uh, Nala Ayed, who I love, uh, was interviewing, but... Um, he was speaking to the concept of being a good ancestor. And he starts it with, uh, it, uh, it was such a, it was one of those podcasts that made me go, oh, oh, that's the guiding light I want. And he starts with, you know, we need to build compassion for people we don't even know are going to exist at some point. So being a good ancestor means I start with, I imagine my daughter, having a daughter and then I imagine I can imagine a granddaughter and then I imagine my granddaughter as a grandmother as 95 years old sitting in her wheelchair where her new great-grandchild is put on her lap mm. I imagine that and even just thinking about it gives me chills <laughs> if you start to imagine these people these are the people standing behind you and you have a role to play in creating a safe place you are invited right now to be an active participant in being that good ancestor to create the new so that that little bubkin sitting in the wheelchair with her great grand has a chance. Sorry. <laughs> as soon as somebody starts crying, I start crying. But it's true. And look at what we're yeah. leaving for our kids right now. Like we, we need to change because that great we granddaughter of the grandmother will not be here if we are on our, our course needs to change around and we have to embrace and care about not where our next yeah. meal is coming from and I'm hungry now and go through that drive-through, but there's so much more we need to think of the impact of what we're leaving. That's why I'm so passionate. That's why I started this podcast because my mama bear is concerned deeply yeah. for future generations. Yeah. And I don't understand how more of us don't see that bigger picture. So I think we feel it on a deep level. And I wonder if that is contributing to the paralysis a little bit that can feel paralyzing. Cause I've certainly felt that myself, but it's also an opportunity. There is, there is hope. There is so much capacity, but we have to participate in it. We do. We, do. we can't we wait for it to show up. Yes, we do. So however you're able to participate, I encourage you to figure out what you can do within the four walls of your own home. That's where we need to start. And that's where we can have the greatest impact in terms of our own microbiome health, supporting our own immunity in order to build that resiliency to protect those seven generations standing behind you. I often have that image of... I'm, I'm holding their hands out and I have seven women behind me and I have my mom and my grandmother in front of me. Oh, and you're not separate. We are not separate. You're part of a chain. What can you do today to be a good ancestor?
that's where I leave it. I love it. I love it. Great place to leave it. Deep thoughts with Lucas Simmons here. <laughs> Definitely. This is where, where, what is your role in that chain? And when you're at the end of your life, what is the legacy that you've left behind? And will you look back on it and say, I did everything I could and I am proud of myself. And it's a daily choice. It's really a daily choice. And on those days where it feels too heavy and too hard to move on, you need to bless it and get on with it and give yourself time. And then tomorrow you try again. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being perfect. No, perfect it's, invites stress. Of course. No. Absolutely it does. Anywhere absolutely you can let go of stress and go, this is good. And you are enough. You are enough. You're good enough. And that's good. And that's enough. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this. <laughs> I, you know, I have lots to digest here. Maybe you're going to want to look at it again. Thank you, Luca. So Luca, quickly. Yeah. As this, once this airs, you're going to be already into your fall season, eating, uh, with, the e seasons. eating with the seasons, which yeah. I am actually, I'm assisting Luca with that one on the back end, moderating that for her. Yeah. Um, so she's, she has programs so we can find, where can we learn about all the things that you have to offer? Uh, everything is up on my website, lucasimmons.com. I've just moved to doing a weekly newsletter in order to compile some really good, solid resources and practical tips that you can put in place for yourself. And it's delivered on Fridays. The first one's coming out this week. I used to do it once a month, but now it's every week. I'm moving a little bit away from the social media aspect of things, more because I want people to feel they're able to get good information directly delivered to them once a week so they don't have to go fishing around and finding things during the week. So I pick a topic every month. There's free content in that newsletter. That's the great first place to start. I have group classes, like you mentioned, we are already starting into the fall season, but we've got the winter season, the spring and the summer seasons of eating with the seasons coming up. It's an online group we do every Tuesday for six weeks and we dive into how to move through the season and focusing on foods, teas, uh, lifestyle ideas, there's energetics tied into it, and also the traditional Chinese medicine main organ of the season, how to support that, why it's important, and giving us ways to really build on that ensuring diversity and going for real food piece. There's also a piece of getting outside that works into the program. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, I'm also running some programs. I've got one starting up in early November. Uh, it's the second of a three-parter, and they all stand on their own apart from the others, but we're getting into the second part of the real food redux and what it is is to help ensure that you're able to get real food on the table what does real food mean how do you get it and how can it happen in a really easy manner how can we make it easier for you to get what is real food and how do i get dinner in my belly so the second part of it starts in november and that is uh, zeroed all in on gut health building your own food as medicine toolkit and then understanding the whole digestive part there's a meal planning and uh, meal yeah, meal, no, batch prepping and meal planning third part starts off in January as well. Okay. So there's lots of programs coming down. I'm introducing some new online courses as well. And I work one-on-one, -on -one. but all of this is available through my website. It's just my name, lucasimmons.com. L-U-K-A-S-Y-M-O-N-S. That's right. She's great. She's fantastic. She's going to hold your hand. She's going to be your advocate. She's going to support you absolutely check her out and if you you're seeing this late and it's well past all the dates that we've talked about then it's going to happen again next year yeah right yep. this is this is this is something that comes around all the time yep. and she just gets makes it bigger and better every time right yeah that's the idea she's always learning she's always yeah. aren't we all so, right i'm not done yet no <laughs> we're not done no well thank you Lorna. Lorna. luca not Lorna. that's somebody else 
Thanks Thank you, Luca. It was amazing to have you here. I really appreciate it. And some really valuable tips and some really beautiful wisdom. Thanks. That we need at My this pleasure. Time. My okay. absolute pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Bye all. Thanks for tuning in and share this. If you enjoyed this, please share this because I think this is some pretty valuable information that many of us. Can. All right. Thank you. Thanks.